This is the Mark for Greatness podcast, the official podcast of the American Paint Horse Association. Co-hosted by the doctor himself, Dr. Billy Smith, and the millennial cowboy, Stephen Hayes, bringing you the latest and greatest of the paint horse world. Welcome to the Mark for Greatness podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Hayes, with the American Paint Horse Association. Along with me again today is our co-host, Dr. Billy Smith. Doc, we got a special guest here with us today, uh, Farrier from Brock, Texas. Uh, he is a paint horse member, uh, has a paint horse, head horse, uh, you know, just involved in all kinds of horse, all things horse related. So excited to visit with him, pick his brain a little bit. Got a huge social media following, so I think that's a unique thing for his business. So looking forward to it. Uh, Lee, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So we got Lee Olson with Olson Equine, uh, based out of Rock, Texas. Lee, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and how you got involved in the uh, equine industry? Well, first, when you when you say it like that, I, I always remember what a friend of mine, uh, Craig Trinka, famous blacksmith, says. There's two things you should never be good at, and that's talk, talk, uh, bragging about yourself and kissing a girl leaning away from you. <laughs> with that said my story is i grew up in western south dakota uh, ranching cattle ranch mainly with a few horses and we grew up all things ranch work uh, and every pretty much every, we covered everything as you know as that lifestyle goes and um, then we got into rodeoing and pretty much just been around horses my entire life and then i got married and well, I we went to went to college rodeo, went to the college finals three times. I we went to high school final before that. Went to um, amateur rodeo finals and the Badlands Circuit finals for a couple of times. And then we moved to Texas and we have two boys now, Trace that's eight and Eli that's a year and a half. And my wife is a nurse practitioner, Jamie, and we live in Brock and we have a multi-farrier practice now. We have three apprentices currently and we do four-year apprenticeship programs they live here and i train them and we get certified and and give them all the skills and set them up for life as good as we can now did you say you're from north dakota or south dakota south dakota definitely uh, said south dakota. <laughs> clearly <laughs> south dakota. that's right that's right uh, western south dakota too yeah and yeah that's right it's warmer down here isn't it oh man yeah yeah, it's excellent. I, I say this is the promised land and not really Weatherford, but just, just really the DFW area. If you're good at what you do, it really doesn't matter what it is. If you've, you've got some try and you're willing to learn, I think you can make it without anything. You know, trying, it's easier to try when the weather's warm. <laughs> That's right. When you don't have to walk through snow, you can try harder. <laughs> That's right. So let's talk a little bit about your horses right quick, and then we'll go into some of these other things. But you do have a paint head horse right now. Uh, talk about him a little bit. And I think he, your mom, your father-in-law and mother-in-law raised him, right? Yes. She, Jim and Sheila Lindsay raised him. His name is Hot Rod, and uh, he's pretty special. We actually have a half-brother to him that they raised as well that my parents have on their ranch. And um, I'll, I'd like to back it up first. So I always say... Uh, there ain't, there's nothing better than a good looking paint. And I get that from, I grew up ranching, you know? So I had a horse since I was in diapers that I could ride. But by the time I got to where it was my own horse, we, my neighbors had a, a nice paint stud and the buckskin mare that I would ride all the time. I said, could uh, we start talking about, every time I drive by this stud, I'm like, man, we should breed Lady to that stud. And then pretty soon, I guess they gave in. So we end up breeding uh, my kid horse to that stud. And my dad and I make a deal that if it's a buckskin, he gets it. But if it's a paint, I get it. And it was the coolest Tobiano Sarlin white paint. He was so cool. Called him Buddy. And by the time he was, it just kind of one of those things that I was the right age, I guess. And so this colt just got harassed, you know, and he was super kind and willing by nature. But 
you could do anything on him. I shot guns off him. I mean, you could rope anything. You could you could literally do anything in the world on this horse, and he'd be like, "All right, here we go." And uh, so then I get older, and uh, I end up selling him, and actually took that money and put it towards some higher powered horses, and that kind of got the. I guess in hindsight, it really got the ball rolling in my rodeo career. So is uh, pretty cool and so now getting back with with current horses uh jamie had a really nice black mare about 10 years ago and uh, we ended up selling selling her to um help our life get better you know like when times are tough and you just kind of getting by on your salary you get you have to sell nice horses and that's how you got a barn was from selling horses and then just things keep moving along and the number one horse that I've uh the most money I've ever won healing uh was on uh on a pain horse that I had and he's retired right now in South Dakota but so so we come to hot rod now and I just I wish that all the incentives that are going on now I mean were happening then because I see so much so much more color and chrome being being brought into the shop. You know, we mainly do haul-ins here at our in our business, and and then just being out at about at the barrel racings and rodeos, ropings. It, I mean, it, all the incentives you guys are doing, it's it's pretty admirable, and it's no wonder why people are starting to catch on because there's a lot of a lot of money in it. You know, uh, my dad uh, used to tell me that you can shoot off of any horse once. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, that's a fast funny story about that. Right? It's actually easier to shoot off them than it is beside them. So I watched way too many westerns growing up. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna shoot off him for the first time, right? And then then I'm like, well, this isn't probably a good idea. So I get off and I have the reins held in my in my hand like this. And I'm sitting there, and it's got an open sight 22 that I'm using. And I shoot, and I guess I didn't watch it. He was paying attention, but it scared the heck out of him. And he spun around, left me, pulled the pulled my hand over the open sight, cut my hand open, then made me walk home. And uh, and it was none of his fault, but it was. Uh, I had lots of great memories with that horse, but uh, yeah, shooting, you're better off on him. I do know that. It's like a cartoon when they take off and you're just left suspended in the air. <laughs> I don't mean to keep telling stories, but on this pain horse, I got a thing where it was always muddy when we were cabin, and then you'd get on and your foot wouldn't fit in your stirrups, and then it just a wreck. So it was just as easy just to ride him bareback. And um, so I'd ride him through all the heifers, checking them for cabin, and um, just do it bareback. Well, I got to where I literally went everywhere on him bareback, unless you had to rope something or something like that. So I am going wide open, as fast as this horse can travel down a dirt road. And there's a wet spot in the middle of the road. And I mean, I, I've taken this horse through dams, through rivers, creeks, he'll go anywhere, right? So I have 100% confidence in Well, he, this is a pretty terrifying dark spot of mud. And he came with a matrix move. We were going as fast as we could this way. And he went... And I just kept going straight, hanging in the air. <laughs> yeah, yep. like a cartoon. Yeah. Just like a cartoon. Yeah, that's a pretty special horse, though, right there. I tell you, be able to do all that on him growing up. So kind of sets your path for future, for sure, confidence-wise, anyway. Oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we could get into the farrier business um, all day long and everybody's got different opinions on all types of things that farrier related. But one thing that I feel like is unique with Olson Equine is the uh, social media growth you've been able to do. Um, approaching 40,000, I think, uh, through your Facebook and Instagram channels. Um, so I'd like to visit a little bit about that. And um, you do a lot of educational videos. And, you know, where did that idea come from to build that? And, you know, what's the What's the strategy for growth as you've gone through it? Well, uh, so a lot of my friends at, I have a lot of friends at Equibrand and uh, the Braves and them and Jay Johnson really helped me um, with a lot of that as well as uh, Stephen, you've been a good asset, of course. And 
there's been lots of people that have that have helped me with that and when it comes to that stuff there's there's a lot to it but ultimately the short version is is that i just put it out there what i'm doing i talk about why i'm doing it i'm not trying to force people's opinions i'm not trying to change their minds i'm just kind of ultimately showing what i do and why i do it and people seem to like it so I was watching some old videos when you first started and, you know, versus now where they're a little more clean and polished. And so what, was it just re repetition that got you to be able to feel more comfortable on camera or, you know, cause that's a big, I find that a lot in people is that those first few times of doing it, man, even though it's your video and you can do it a hundred times, you're still nervous, still, it's hard to get the words out. As soon as the, I mean, you can talk about it all day, but as soon as those camera comes on, even if it's your cell phone camera, uh, you know, how long did that process take to where you felt comfortable talking about, I mean, literally what you're doing It's what you do every day. It's not like it's a hard topic to talk about. Hey, yeah, that's, that's fair for sure. So I think there's, I think that's actually like, uh there's a lot of polls on that but that's number one fear for a lot of people is public speaking even compared to skydiving and all sorts of stuff i would rather talk in public <laughs> but um i don't know it's like anything you know like you do it long enough you'll you'll get comfortable doing it but it really didn't seem that bad i guess when i was doing it but in hindsight those earlier videos they're they're pretty bad but uh, you just get a lot better at communication and that's one thing that i really had to work on myself is uh, communication skills and, and public speaking skills i've taken several courses on udemy and it's a cool platform that steven actually introduced me to but man it you can take a class on literally anything but uh, everybody wants to know the how did this happen or how did that happen well i can promise you one thing wherever someone got it wasn't by accident and they probably worked at it so when it comes to getting better at public speaking it's because i worked at it and uh, just you, you know there's you're right a lot of people can get they're afraid to speak publicly but there are people who shouldn't speak publicly they just shouldn't do, you know so uh, yeah, I can name I can name ten just <laughs> rapid fire ten of them. They speak publicly too much. So let me ask you this question: Of all of the videos you've done, what was the most trafficked video? The one that was most successful? Probably the one that I used a torch to burn the foot, and that's all you need to know about <laughs> social media, right there. <laughs> so you can, if you screw up, that's going to get you the most traffic, huh? Well, I didn't screw up at all, but you just like it's theatrical stuff you know like you're like like the the thumbnail to the video is literally a blowing torch on the foot and then you've got people saying oh my gosh put that on your foot you sorry sucker and then they're saying that's terrible and then people are saying that's amazing so whenever you can trigger emotions i think that's the secret but that that video was over two million so. Well, explain. You got to explain it a little bit for our listeners what you were doing. Uh, you, yeah, yeah, you were hardening the hoof, but yeah. go tell a well, little bit about what that was. Yeah. All right, speaking of communication, so, harden um, the hoof, but you can't harden your foot by uh, heating it up. That's for dang sure. <laughs> well, the know, we, could find, we could find out on Stephen if you really want to go well, into it. I'm all about that. You might be an anomaly. Yep. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so with the torch on the horse's foot, it's it's a very um, cool trick, especially in the drier climates. If you you never want to hurt a horse, no matter what we do. But if you use a torch, it just softens the hoof, and you can just you know, like there's a lot of times with your hoof knife where it won't go in, your nippers don't want to go in, and then you torch the hoof, and it just comes out like butter. Literally, a child can do it. So as long as I've never heard a horse doing it at all. Some don't like the noise, but it's pretty cool. But then we've also got another trick that's an old racetrack trick that if you've got a horse that's thin sold or hurt or anything wrong, you can take a torch and torch the bottom of their foot and you can put other ointments on it and stuff. But just torching the foot will create a crust and harden it, especially when you get into real soft feet. The difference is, is that you attack it right away 
like as soon as you put your torch down, you go after it with a knife. And then the other way is that you just let it sit, let it cool. So dual purpose. Yeah, absolutely. One that comes to mind for me a little bit, you know, being Billy asked that question, just because of, we talk a little bit about being relevant in social media, you have to be relevant with the times and what's going on and, um, and tie it to emotions and things that people recognize themselves in. Uh, so one of the ones that always comes to mind to me is that cowboy thermometer one. So, uh, you know, that one got a ton of traffic, uh, from what I saw, I was kind of doing some backwards research, uh, at your social, but, um, tell a little bit about that and, you know, what was going on there and what the cowboy thermometer was. You know, I kind of forgot about that one, actually, Billy, that one might be pushing it. I think that one got over 2 million too, or close, but so I had this really nice horse at the time and, but he was pretty hot and it was pretty cold out. So I just threw my saddle on him. And I just cinched him up and his back blew up big enough to where you could put a, at least a volleyball in the back of it. Like you did not want to step on him right there. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just took a picture of it and I called it the cowboy thermometer is not looking good today. And that's all I put. And it, it blew up. And I think the funny part was, is that a lot of people didn't get it. And it, it blew up enough that people started to get it after that. But, yeah. But the, the, the point of that is, is I think it has to be relevant and then you have to trigger feelings too. So everybody, no matter how gentle of horses, you've seen one humped up before. So you, that's relevant, right? And then they get a strong feeling about the time they got put on their head by a horse that was humped up like that, or at least I would. So I think that's, I think that's how you, um, run the line of relevant and feelings. And actually I'm working on a video right now about all the rain because it's rained so much here the last over May and it's raining right now and it's going to rain all weekend and the next week. But grew up ranching, so we never cussed the rain, but uh, it is hard on horseshoeing. It, I mean, those shoes, <laughs> it's raining shoes. Yeah. And uh, so putting that together, but well, we had we we had a group in um, what was it two two months ago, Billy? The Tomorrow's Horseman group, yeah, uh, something like that. About two months ago, and so essentially, it's uh, NSBA puts that program together, and it's young trainers, uh, and they're teaching them different aspects of the business, right? And not you know the business anymore it isn't just about training horses, but it's customer care and uh, social media and all the aspects that come with it. Um, and I actually referenced your social media page and, and your process in when I talked to them uh, about marketing and using their social medias to benefit their business. Um, but being I have you here live today, um, why don't you give one tip for, you know, entrepreneurs, whether you're a farrier or a horse trainer uh, or any of those businesses that are tied to the equine community that you'd say, here's, if you're going to do one thing, I recommend you do this one thing. Uh, well, um, man, it's hard to put it around one thing, but if I had to just pick one thing, I guess, because there's so many things that go with it. Here's what I'd say. Whatever you need to work on, you find the best at it, the best that you can when you get around them, whatever, them, whatever you got to do to get around them. If you got to do work for them for free, if you need to pay them, whatever you need to do, if, it, if that's social media stuff, if that's your weakness, if you're a really great horse trainer and you're really bad at social media or you can't turn on a computer guess what kind of class you need to go to the computer class you're a horse trainer great that's that's cool you can you can make short-term money right there but as soon as you can't ride horses now what are you going to do so you've got to branch out and you've got to grow so if i could only tell you one thing it's find your weakness and then find out who's really good at that and find out what you got to do to get around them to learn to be like them Absolutely. What What's your thoughts there, Doc? I'm interested to see what you say. Well, I think you already kind of covered what I think is important, especially in social media, and that's staying as relevant as you can stay, um, and whenever and and keep things very simple. And that's not because people aren't smart. People are really smart. People are taxed for time. So simplicity. Um, is important. And that's a hard lesson for me to learn because I, I grew up as a working journalist. You know, I actually, the very first job I ever 
was uh, ever had as a journalist. I got paid by the word. So it was like, <laughs> here we go, you know, 1500 word stories, things like that. The world's changed. And if you can't communicate what you want to communicate in 50 words, you're, you're not going to do it very well. So I think those are critical things, being relevant and being able to communicate it in a few words. When I was a teacher, I used to tell people, think about what you want to communicate and say it in, in less than 50 words. If you can't do it, then you haven't thought long and hard about what it is the message you want to deliver. Now, you may end up doing more than 50 words, but that one message needs to be super clear in everything you do. Whatever that message is, it needs to be clear. Yeah. So essentially elevator pitch it, no matter what you're communicating best you can to yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. To yourself first. And then when you go, then from there, you know, some people wander when they speak and that's natural, but uh, you don't want to wander in social media. Absolutely. I can see Lee's taking notes here. He's a note taker that one. Yeah. And and you know what? (laughs) Yeah. take, Take a note, Steven. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things that I also talk about social media is quantity over quality. And I I think you just got to pump it out, just pump it out, pump it out, pump it out. So my question back to you, Lee, would be, um, how do you turn, I mean, shoe and horses can be rather boring. Uh, I mean, in the general general day-to-day operations. So how do you turn that in? Is it, you just, is that your philosophy too? Is just pump stuff out and what people find interesting, cool, or what they don't, it does, you know, you're going to get them on the next video. Well, you know, that's my biggest weakness. I was just thinking about that last week. I was like, man, you got to get more content out there. But to me, it's so hard because horseshoeing is one of those things that it's, best kept basic you know i truly believe that you're doing all this crazy stuff all the time unless you're in a therapeutic practice like mine you're probably causing more harm than good a lot of times but the problem is with our business that the majority of the horses that come to us have problems so they need things fixed so just taking pictures of basic shoeing. Oh, look, another flat shoe. Oh, look, another flat shoe. Oh, look, no, there's people switched off right away. Right. So I think that's the biggest struggle. And that's the same thing with everything. I mean, it's like a cow horse trainer. Look, we turned another cow back. You turned another cow back. And then by the third time, it's good. Like, like anything you go and watch a team rope and it can be the best in the world by by an hour into it, you're like, man, I've seen enough from that. So you want to got to keep things interesting, and that's that's kind of my my point on that. And it's it's a big struggle for me, like it is for a lot of people. We we we've got to where we are because we put a big focus on quality, right? So then we're talking about social media, and it's backwards. It's like throw it out there. And the best advice that I ever got was Dale Brisby's guy that told you and I, Stephen, in Vegas that's, that said, or it was Dale Brisby himself, maybe, but he said, just post it. That was the best advice I ever got. Yeah, and that was Randy Cartera, Dale Brisby's video guy, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that really spoke to me. And, and obviously you can do that wrong. I mean, you don't want to put out bad things, but when you're when you're talking about, is this going to be a bad video or not just post it? If that even hits your mind that it's possible because what happens on the ones that don't work, no one sees it anyway. So what's it matter? I mean, just post it. And if it's good, it'll go nuts. And how I got in trouble right away is I would try to, I try to boost posts, you know, I want to grow it. I want to grow it. So you boost this one that you think is amazing, right? Oh, so insightful, so much information. And then you put a picture of a humped up horse and it goes close to 2 million. <laughs> You're like, I don't get it. <laughs> but if there's one to pu- one to boost, it's the, it's the one that the crowd likes. Don't boost the one that you thought should have done good, that maybe it was just posted on the wrong day. Like, just, uh, just take your likes and your traction that you get as an indicator on what they like most. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I actually, you know, thinking going back to the, you know, fair being a fair or shoeing horses is boring. Uh, did you see? And you know, y'all both probably did, but there was a video of a guy uh, on social, and he literally was just trimming a horse. Literally, that's that's all he was doing, and it had like three million views. But I think the the primary thing with that was that the people viewing it were not horse people. They weren't horse people. And so to them, it's interesting. When do they ever see, you know, how a horse's foot, it's like how I, how I made this, right? It's a, something they never see and they have no idea how it's done and that it has to be done. So it's kind of interesting. See, I think, I think that's where uh, people who develop an expertise struggle in social media. They forget that certain things they do are pretty cool. Certain routine things they do are pretty cool to a lay audience. And they lose that sensitivity to it because there's it's so routine to them. It's so everyday to them. So that routine stuff really probably has a following we haven't fully uh, fully understood in social media. Absolutely. So we're going to move off social media for just a minute. I actually want to talk about um, your business model D2, because I feel like that's a pretty unique thing. You've actually given several speeches on it to um, different groups and organizations uh, about how you, and you don't have to go into a huge detail on what that is, but just your basic generic, um, your business model. um, Because I believe it's not just about horseshoeing or being a farrier, but it, again, it transfers to all these different entrepreneurs and business owners, horse trainers, things like that. Um, and so I'd just like you to touch a little bit about that. Sure. So the problem with, with the barrier problems is that, or the thing with barrier problems is that they're really not that special. They're just self-employed problems, in my opinion. So you'll get no business training. You'll get no um, no customer service skills. You'll get no retirement. You'll get no, not, literally no training in the fact of running a business. You know, everybody, I can't remember what self-employed book I got it out of, but every self-employed person's problem is that they think they're the best. No one else can do what I do as good as I can do it. And that's good. You should have some pride in what you do, but also um, you need to realize that you, it takes a team to get a lot of these things done or you have to get yourself educated because if you're not answering the phone, well, you need to pay someone that can't answer the phone. And if you don't know anything about retirement, you need to get a retirement guy and let him tell you what you need to be doing and so on and so forth. But when it comes to the, the short version of all this, of my business deal, is I went from $100 to $250 for a horse in three years. And how I did that is that I went to an AFA certification in Stephenville, Texas, because no one would really pay me more than $90 or $100 every time I tried to charge one of these, but couldn't get it. So I thought, well, if I go get certified, then they'll have to pay me since I'll be certified. Well, for one, that's completely wrong. Two, I found out I was a terrible horseshoer. And that's what's beautiful about the test is it's a very static thing. It's like true or false. It's like you passed or you didn't. And I didn't. So it kind of sparked a fire in me. And then I went to 11 clinics the next year and I ended up getting certified. And then I went out, went ahead and got to be a journeyman as well within that three years and it totally transformed my life and prior to that my back got so bad trying to make money that I couldn't pick my son that was a baby out of his crib at the time it was bad so um by the grace of God that that went away on its own but uh I never forgot how bad that hurt so I was there's only, so I was very driven to get better because there's only two ways to make more money shoeing horses. And that's either charge more or do more. And I was not doing more. I was already working six, seven days a week, had helpers just shoeing like a madman. Well, that's a good way to turn into an old man, what I found out. And that ain't, that's no kind of life for me because once your back starts hurting or your body, it's pretty much impossible to keep a good attitude when your body hurts no matter how positive you are when every moment of the day hurts. I rub, I rub big sores on my elbows from 
resting on my knees because I had to keep shooing, but I couldn't squat down. So I'd have to hold myself up and I just work with my hands while my elbows were on my knees. So what I did as soon as I, um, we move up to Brock about that time, Weatherford area, and I start getting really busy again. Well, I mean, I was busy pretty much the whole time, but I get started getting pretty busy and I'm talking to a good um, mentor of mine named Grant Moon from England. And he said, what's your goal? I, I pay him to come help me just to assess my business, look at my shoeing. What should I do to get better next level? And he goes, well, what's your goal? I said, I'd like to get some big cutting accounts. He goes, let me see your books. I opened up my books and he said, where are you going to put it? Literally every day is full. So when they call, they're not going to want in five, six weeks from now. They want in right away. So you're going to have to find some time in your schedule. Well, my uncle is a very successful retired stockbroker. And I talked to him quite a bit about business. And he, the short version on him is he told me, look, we all have the same type of business. We all want this great book of business. We all want the cream of the crop, the best business there is. And that's the reason why you want the best is because the top 20% normally pay for 80% of the profit. And the bottom end clients take up all your time and bring in the least amount of money. So what I want you to do, he said, is categorize all your clients into A, B, C, and D categories. And then I want you to cut the Ds. They're not worth working for anyway. Yes, you'll like them. Yes, they're good people. Hunt them off with somebody that you like. But I'll promise you, you get rid of them, you'll make more money. Well, you know, that's the hard part about shooting horses is you develop this personal relationship with your clients and you know all these details, how their horses are bred, kids, birthdays. I mean, you know everything, right? Well, I've decided, well, from Grant, he gave me this little part. He goes, don't fire him. He said, my theory is you're going to have to fire my ass is what he said. So I thought A, B, C, and D, but I'm going to raise the Ds. And if they want to leave, great. But if they want to stay, well, pretty soon they're not a D. Now they're a B. And that was a, a big light bulb moment. That, that was very, that changed things. It was very crazy. And whatever business you're in, you know, like if you have multiple clients, it's very enlightening just to a, B, put everything in four categories for whatever reason. And you'll start to see where all your time is and who, who brings in the most money. And then if you're spending a lot of time on people that aren't bringing a lot of money in, well, that's pretty silly. Because you got, ultimately, you have to leave open 25% of the, of the time so you leave room for more people to come in. But the thing no one ever tells you or that you'll never expect is that when you do that, not very few of them will actually leave. Like I bet it's less than 40% or something like that because they've developed a personal relationship and they know that you can do what you say you can. So they have to decide on a new guy crippling their horses or taking a price rate. And if people are really getting better, in my opinion, they deserve a price raise no matter what they're doing. So, so I did that, but what also came with that is I stopped working weekends and I try not to do anything before eight or nine. I try to be done by five because my family is very important to me. And if I have to miss, if someone wants me to go somewhere and do something and they're like willing to pay for it, well, it's still not appealing to me because if I'm missing baseball games, if I'm missing important life moments, those, those are worth a lot. I'm not saying I won't do it, but I'm saying they're going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to hear, Doc, what do you think about that model? I, I know um, you've probably heard, heard a little bit about it before, but just hear your professional opinion of how that works. You know, I have a, I had a good friend, he's passed, but he wrote a book um, called Up Against the Walmarts. It's about small retailers. And he describes the same phenomenon that if you chase, as a retailer, if you're chasing the lowest price, you'll go out of business because you can't do that. You've got to be able to provide something 
that's a little bit unique or some relationship that's different from everyone else. And uh, he ascribed to the uh, kind of the 80-20 rule that there's a certain number of people who just are time sucks. They take all your time. They're not bad people, but they take up a lot of time and you and you really aren't able to devote uh, the kind of attention you need to growing a business and probably not enough attention to getting better at what you do. So um, I think that's I think that's true that um, there's always a few people, you know, you know, the way I describe it is you have to own your time and you have to value your time. And if you don't, I promise you, no one else will. They'll they'll take every every nickel of time you have, uh, and that creates you know that creates all kinds of problems. Not just family, but a lot of others. But family is the most important thing because it'll steal some things away from you that you can't get back. It doesn't replay itself. So I think it's a smart approach, and uh, um, I think it's a it's a simple it's a simple concept. But you have to learn it first, and it's hard to let certain customers go in a proprietary uh, kind of organization like yours. Um, but it, it almost always works to your advantage. Right. You know, one more thing that I think is super important is everywhere you go, every business they talk about, man, you can't find any good help. Good help is hard to find. And, or those darn millennials. Well, I've got, Three of them working for me, and they are amazing. And if you don't know them, come meet them and you'll know. But the thing is that when I only am asking them to work for me for five days a week, and like today we got done early, and when we try to be done early on a Wednesday, it doesn't matter who you are. You don't like working 100% of the time. So I found that my life got easier when I got easier on my health too, because they're putting more out while they're there opposed to asking them to work 15 hours a day and care about your business. I mean, <laughs> that ain't going to work for very long. Yeah, no, absolutely. Man management's an important, important deal and understanding what's important to each person you're managing. Cause everybody's different. That's definitely a solid business advice right there. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, you do clinics across the country as well. Um, but one of the things that you've started to incorporate that I think is a pretty pretty um, uh, interesting and, and probably great for the overall horse community is owner education. So like the first part of your clinic is all for the owners. It's about understanding what uh, horse hoof care is about. Uh, not so much of you know becoming a horse shoer, but just understanding what hoof care is about in general. So uh, just briefly, what's your what's your input on that? Well, um, it's kind of like the saying, you know, like if you can't explain it to a three-year-old, you're not a professional, right? So that's kind of the gist of it, though. Like, you know how many professionals and so many fields that can't explain their business to a three-year-old? I mean, there's a lot of horseshoers that are like that. And I know it's in every industry. But so that's how I start off every one of my clinics and I allow horse owners to come in there for a hundred dollars or something. But that's, it's like one one for the farriers. And it's like, this is what, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And this is what you'll see. And these are problems that can come up, come up. And we really don't talk about how to fix them. We just kind of talk about what you should know and what you should know to do and, so on and so forth. And that, that to me, um, if you want to talk about helping a horse or helping the industry, yeah, farriers would benefit from this probably the most, but I truly care about the horse. And the number one thing that you could do for a horse is educate the person that sees them every single day. So when the horse owner knows that looks like brush, that looks like white line disease. You know, that horse is walking on one side of his foot. I wonder if the other side of his foot hurts. There's so many horses out there that people say, you know, he's never taken a lame step. I say to who? Because there's so many times when you get that horse in front of a professional, they're like, has he always been off on the right hind? They're like, what? And I mean, just that's where I just think that the horses can't talk 
and the owners don't know is the most common saying that there is in horseshoeing. So that's why we have to pay attention when you see the horses because they're very misleading information most of the time. So in my opinion, if you really care about the horse and you're a farrier or you're a vet and you want to do something, educate the owners. Yeah, that's a great, great piece of insight for sure for horse owners. And, and I think just anybody in the business that's got a, got a skill that helps take care of the horse, you know, educating the, the owner itself is this important step in the overall process. Cause like you say, they're the ones seeing them every single day. You know, it's interesting. So when, since we moved to the stockyard, we get a lot more people in the office who really don't know anything about horses at all, not even the smallest amount. And I've had to change when they ask, what do we do? What's our business? Um, you know, I would typically say we register horses, but that's a foreign concept to most of them as well. So I've had to adopt a much simpler, concrete way of saying, well, we're the Department of Motor Vehicles for paint horses. And that resonates <laughs> brand new people. At least they get the concept. Oh, okay. So you're gathering information. You're putting it in a database. You've got the history of the horse, like they have the history of my car. Do you have a like a like a five or six word uh, super elevator speech that says what you're doing, what you do to that person who knows literally nothing about horses? Yeah, you just provide so you'll say farrier right and they go what they say a horseshoe and half of them will get it, and then the other half will say what and then you're like oh boy so now you've got to say we trim horses hook they're like oh like your fingernails and i'm like you know yeah. not really and, <laughs> and that's when you're like Ooh. but yeah trim, no, but it's trim and screw horses yeah. yeah it's the closest association they have is their fingernails so yeah, understand. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to something right quick you said about um, your business model. Uh, you know, you said that shoeing a lot of horses and doing more makes you old. So, Billy, did you did you shoe horses at one time, or you know guess? what? That, I immediately caught on to that because I thought <laughs> early on we weren't going to we weren't going to throw out the age card. So I noticed when that got slipped in there. Yeah, way yeah. to go, Lee. Thanks for teeing it up. I, I feel like I crushed that. No, but I'm telling you, this this gray, I've earned every one of these hairs. Every one of them. Yep. Yeah. I think 90% of them. Stephen has a lot in his beard, too. That's pretty cool. Lee, you don't want to go down this path. Done it right now. <laughs> I know so, you use your stuff. I mean, he puts stuff in there. And make he it says the same thing. I'm sorry, I don't. Now, I will pluck a hair. If it gets in here, I will pluck it right out. It hurts yeah. like a son of a gun, but I'll do it. Yeah, it was so it was so crazy. He said that because he knew I was about to say it. It was the craziest thing. He had all this gray hair in his beard, and the next day there wasn't. It wasn't. Just well, gone. you know, you know. Okay, Lee, since you're since you're jumping on this bandwagon right quick, uh, you know, Billy makes fun of my hair falling out all the time. Why don't you take your hat off here? Show the crowd. Wave to the crowd, yeah. Lee. You know, this American hat is beautiful <laughs> and deserves to stay on my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, great segue. That was perfect. We're actually all wearing American hats right now. Well, we all are, but underneath my hat is a full head of hair. And neither one of you young guys can say that. And we know what we also can't say is it ain't a full head of hair with no gray in it either. So <laughs> again, it says money doesn't buy happiness. I'm Billy. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, the bins, we, we jumped on this hat American hat deal. Uh, let's talk a little bit about American hats. We all got our new straws on, looking sharp, looking fly. Lee, they came on, they're partnered with you. Uh, they just came on with APHA a couple months ago now. And uh, what a great company they are. And Keith Monday over there, those guys are just phenomenal to work with. You know, I can't say enough good things about them. All I can say. All I can say, you know, is that it's it's an absolute pleasure to be associated with people who have like-minded goals and taking care of people, taking care of the horse industry is on the forefront of their business model. And you will not be treated bad when you go to them. You will be, uh, you won't get out of there without being satisfied. And that's the same way I run my business. We're going to do it until you like it, until the horse likes it. And uh, that's kind of their, their mentality too. And you know, there's Keith Monday and I have become pretty close. And, you know, one thing that he'll always say is there's uh, in, in the hat industry and in other industries, I, 
Well, any industry, I think one of the worst, cheapest things you can do is bash somebody else. Uh, in my business, I do a lot of before and after pictures. And when you're looking at a horse that's long or overdue, it's pretty easy to make it look better. The horse is long, right? So you could literally trim the foot, nail the same set of shoes on, and look like a hero, right? So that's why I always pull off the shoes. I never, ever want anyone to think that I threw them under the bus. Well, when it comes to the hat industry, they, so many people do the same thing to them that they do to me. You'll walk up this horse and they've got this super cheap shoeing going on. Maybe they did it themselves. Maybe they don't know what they're doing. And it's very comparable to walking up to American hat professionals with a carnival hat on. It truly is. And they walk up, they say, well, what do you think? And the best, and to me, you know, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I wish they wouldn't ask that. How am I going to get around this? I'm like, and that sure is a pretty horse, you know, <laughs> but what, what Keith will tell people is he goes, you know what? I won't tell you anything about your hat, but you know what I will do? I'll tell you about my hat and why I like my hat. And he'll go through the features of his hat and he'll talk about, uh, so why, why they do things and why they're important, why they work. And he doesn't brag about himself. And I think that just speaks volumes to the level of character and um, just how they run their businesses. And another thing that Keith will say is that he goes, I don't care what kind of hat you're wearing. As long as you're wearing the hat, you're a friend of mine. Yeah, I've actually heard him say that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I go over there, the thing that he does, and the same thing that all his staff does, which you, if you, if you hang out there a while, you'll see a whole, whole um, spectrum of hat buyers, starting with never bought one before, with have bought a hundred, and and I like the way the fact that they're all treating all the same. Even if you don't know much, then they'll spend time. The beauty of Shaker again is you got some time to talk to people about how a hat should fit, things like that. And they don't, um, yeah, they don't pass uh, a lot of judgment. And sometimes in the horse industry, I see that where uh, new people kind of there's a little bit of a judgment on new people, but it's our job to teach them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Think about. I, I've thought about that. Sorry, Stephen. I've thought about that before too. And. Um, when you're when you're wearing a hat in public, you know, like it's it's whatever to wear one around Fort Worth. But when you get into places where you're the only hat, you like it or not, you're under a microscope, and all cowboys, all horsemen will be judged in that person's eyes on how you act. So that's a big responsibility, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. Th thinking of, um, you know, American hat, actually, you know, Keith Maddox was passed here recently, but his wife, Miss Susan, um, you know, is owner CEO of American hats. Now um, she actually just agreed. She's going to be one of our speakers at the Calgary gathering this year. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to hear uh, the content she's going to put out there. So we're super excited. Uh, Jamie actually went to that. Your wife went to that last year. Uh, went to the speaking deal and also um, went to the barrel race, which, by the way, if you haven't seen a video, you can go check out Olsen Equine's pay Facebook page. He put uh, like literally lights uh, on his wife's horse, rode them right past the uh, APHA bronze down here in the stockyards. A pretty, pretty awesome video. Yeah, that one, that one went pretty well, too. What I did is I took light up LED Christmas lights and glued them right on the feet. It was pretty funny. Yeah, no, pretty it funny. was. But yeah, that... Uh, that cowgirl deal that Jamie and her mom both went and they loved it. And just like you're talking about the struggles of everyone in the equine industry, um, how they have social media problems, business problems, all this growth stuff that has nothing to do with riding the horse. You guys cover there. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And anytime that uh, we can all get a little better, it just raises the industry and rides and tide raises all boats so that's right it's a good thing. absolutely well before we wrap up i do have one more question lee would you know i know you're kind of an av uh, amateur singer of god bless america would you like to to sing that to close us out or are you going to pass today you know i think there's better people for the job and you should always punt the professionals so billy <laughs> 
<laughs> I think, you know, I love America and I love that song. And for me to butcher it, <laughs> that would be un-American. That's right. That's right. I could not agree more. I will say, I am proud of America. And God, please bless America. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're gonna, we'll wrap it up today, Billy. Unless you got any more questions uh, for Mr. Lee, but if not, we'll wrap it up today. Lee, I really appreciate you visiting with us, uh, telling a little bit about your past and your ties to paying horses. Uh, maybe we'll see you at the World Show coming up in here, June, July. Try to win you a World Championship on the head side. It'd be fantastic. Um, but we really appreciate you taking the time and um, sharing some of your insight with social media and business and everything else. Well, yeah, it was my pleasure. Glad to be with you guys. Hot rattle, be in the finals. All right, take care, man.